You're listening to Podcateers. Welcome to episode 231 of Podcateers. You know, last year I had the opportunity to sit in the audience as Stan Lee walked up to a podium with Bob Iger at the D23 Expo and received the honor of being named a Disney legend. Since that weekend, I wanted to dedicate an episode to Stan Lee, and when news broke that Stan had passed away, I was immediately transported back to my chair in the audience at the D23 Expo, and I thought once again, we should dedicate an episode to talk about Stan. So in this episode, that's exactly what we're doing. We'll talk about his life, some of the contributions that he made to our culture, and talk about some of our favorite things that he created and appeared in. There's also possibly going to be a really horrible Stan Lee impression once or twice or a lot of times by me and by possibly it's going to happen because, that you know, because, uh, yeah. So if you want to join the conversation, leave us a comment on the blog post for this episode at podcasters.com slash 231. Plus, while you're there, you'll find some info on things that we talk about in this episode. You can also send us a comment on Instagram, Facebook, or on Twitter. Just search for Podcateers. Before we start, just a couple of reminders. As we jump into the holiday season, if you do any shopping on Amazon, give us a hand by starting that purchase by going to podcateers.com Amazon first. On that page, you'll find a huge button that will take you to Amazon using our special link when you click it, and then you can shop as you normally would. Those extra clicks on your part will earn us a small commission from Amazon at the end of the month as a thank you for mentioning them on the podcast, and then you click in on that link. So remember, this holiday season, whenever you need to purchase something on Amazon, start by first going to podcateers.com Amazon. To everyone already doing that, we thank you. Also, a shout out to our podcast fairy godparents because it's their monthly support via Patreon that help make these episodes of Podcateers possible. If you would like more info, head on over to podcateers.com FGP. To all of the members of the FGP squad, we thank you for your support. All right, so let's get this episode about Stanley started, shall we? Here is episode 231 of Podcateers. doing today fantastic <laughs> yeah you're so good kevin you're winding down from designer con today and yes. we're winding down from mickey's birthday yeah it's been a it's been a packed weekend full of activities Agreed. yeah yeah so in this episode we wanted to do something a little bit different and uh earlier this week we got the news that Stanley had passed away. You know, I think a lot of us, even though we're Disney fans, we're also Marvel fans. We're also Star Wars fans. And I think because of the fact that not just the fact that Disney has a lot of these properties under the same umbrella, I think that just as people, as humans, we tend to like other things other than Disney. And Stanley played a really important role in the creation of comics as we see them today in the creation of graphic novels as we see them today and so we wanted to dedicate some time in this episode to talk about stan lee 
uh, his life, his contributions to the the world of comic books. Uh, we're going to be talking about some of the answers that we received from all of you uh, listening on our Instagram stories. You know, we posted a couple of questions and we'll we'll get to those later in the episode. But yeah, I think it's a, a good opportunity for us to talk about Stan's life, which, by the way, this was an episode that I wanted to do last year after we saw Stan Lee at the D23 Expo when he received his Disney Legends Award. Yeah, you know, there was a lot of people that I think were perturbed, to say the least, that non-Disney people were getting a Disney Legends Award, but they are Disney, Mm -hmm. you know, for all intents and purposes, Disney owns Marvel, they are Disney, and the Disney Legend Award is, you know, to honor people that have made contributions in their line of work, and I think it was a, a great opportunity, and now considering the fact that Stan has passed away, um, I think it was amazing that he actually got a chance to stand there and speak to accept his award, which, you know, a lot of Imagineers that have passed on don't have the luxury of doing. So, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, are you guys ready to do this? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. All right. So, should I play some music in the background? Just kind of some, like, soft music, like the <laughs> Avenger Suite? Yeah. Right. It's <laughs> <laughs> perfect. It would be cool, right? We'll have um, somebody come score it for us. Okay. I like it. All right. So here we go. So Stanley Martin Lieber was born on December 28th, 1922 in Manhattan, New York to Celia and Jack Lieber. Uh, He once stated that growing up, he was largely influenced by literature and films featuring the heroic roles of Errol Flynn, an actor during the golden age of Hollywood. Um, And to build up his writing chops, he wrote obituaries part-time for a news service and press releases for the National Tuberculosis Center. He also took on odd jobs, you know, to help make ends meet, uh, like delivering sandwiches, working as an office boy for a company that made pants, of all things, because who doesn't need their pantaloons? Right. Right. Uh, He was an (laughs) usher at the Rivoli Theater on Broadway. Plus, he sold subscriptions to the New York Herald Tribune newspaper. So anybody that's had to go door-to-door selling any type of product, vacuums, knives, you name it, Stan Lee did it. So you're in good company. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, you know, he basically knew what it meant to hustle, right? He was right. out there mm-hmm. trying to make money. And keep in mind that this all happened during the Great Depression. So, you know, he had to do what he had to do to survive, not only for him, but to help out his family. Now, mm-hmm. if that wasn't enough, he graduated high school when he was 16 and a half. Wow. Almost a wow. year and a half earlier than most of us graduate. Mm-hmm. Really, after he graduated high school, the comic industry was in this like boom period. And most historians refer to this era as the golden age of comic books. And his uncle, Robbie, uh, used to work for a publishing company. And it was owned by a man named Martin Goodman, who also happened to be married to Stan's cousin, Gene. Uh, so, you know, there's no nepotism there. I'm just, you know. But Hey, it's always all who you know. Right? right? It is. It truly, yeah, truly is. Sometimes that's family, and that's just how it works. And that's how you get your first job. But, yeah, so the company that Martin Goodman owned made comic books. And they made these things called pulp magazines. And if you're not familiar with the term pulp magazines, it was essentially just the type of paper that they use. It was like a cheap paper made of wood pulp that uh, were super cheap to produce. And 
they're the equivalent of what you see at like a supermarket when you're checking out like the little digest mm-hmm. and stuff like that. But uh, that was one of their primary sources of income. But because comics uh, were in this boom, uh, Goodman decided to test the comic that he called Marvel Comics number one in October 1939. And it featured the first appearances of the Human Torch and the Submariner. The comic was a hit. Nice. Yeah. So Goodman started to put together a team that was dedicated to working on these comics. And Stan got hired as an assistant in this new division of the company that they called Timely Comics. Uh, So this was the first big step in Stan's journey because Timely Comics would go on to become Atlas Comics in the 1950s. And then in the 1960s, the company would evolve again into what we now know as Marvel Comics. But, you know, we'll get to that, you know, a little further in the story. So uh, when he first started there, he had mundane tasks like filling bottles of ink for the artists, getting them lunch. He proofread for them. He erased pencil lines from finished pages before they were sent to publication, all for a whopping $8 a week. Dang, times have changed. I know. (laughs) Eight bucks, guys. That doesn't even buy you a sandwich these days. You got to start somewhere. You can't legally pay somebody that for an hour's work anymore. That's true. In most places, (laughs) that is true. Um, But you know what? That was totally fine because, remember, he wanted something bigger. He wanted more. And he kept mm-hmm. thinking about these dreams that he has when he would that he had when he was younger about being a writer. And in 1941, he got his big break. So Timely Comics editorial editor Joe Simon, like he was getting super desperate because he and his friend slash co-worker Jack Kirby had created the company's third character, uh, which may sound familiar to some of you. It's a patriotic fellow by the name of Captain America. Uh, But the character became so popular that they struggled to keep up with the demand of creating the comic. So to help, they brought in a bunch of freelancers to kind of help keep the flow going. And they also knew that Stan wanted to write. So as a mini audition of sorts, Simon came up with this throwaway story to see if Stan would cut it as a writer. And the story that they gave him was called Captain America Foils the Traitor's Revenge. That's my best Stan Lee, by the way. (laughs) As as this episode progresses, I'm going to keep announcing stuff like that in my (laughs) super horrible Stan Lee voice. So I I, I just want to throw that out there. I just want you to know. (laughs) So yeah, so Captain America Foils the Traitor's Revenge appeared in Captain America Comics number three in May of 1941. So now Stan's throwaway story is right smack in the middle uh, of these other two Captain America stories that for the most part, people didn't read. You know, they went for the main story and all these little filler stories weren't read by the people that purchased these, these comic books, but he didn't care. You know, he was a published author. And the crazy thing about it is that this filler story wasn't, really created to offer any type of character development for Captain America. It was essentially created and put into the publication so that the comic book would qualify for the post office's cheap magazine rate. Oh, wow. Yeah. (laughs) It's so crazy. Yeah. So he got his big break for something that most people didn't even read. Maybe possibly. (laughs) Who knows? Right. I mean, now they're possibly reading it. If you got a copy of that, Oh, yeah. 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 It's a collector's item for sure. 
So two issues after that, Stan was writing actual comics. And he got another feature called Headline Hunter, Foreign Correspondent. That was absolutely horrible, too. Um, <laughs> and then a few months after that, he got his really big break uh, because he co-created his first superhero for Mystic Comics number six called The Destroyer. Nice. It's getting better. <laughs> Self-proclaimed. <laughs> Uh, so some of the characters he went on to create during that time were also, they were kind of generic characters like Jack Frost and Father Time. Mm -hmm. But, you mm -hmm. know, he was he was now in this industry. And it was so strange because comics weren't really seen as uh, this amazing piece of literature. You know, to most people, they were considered a waste of time. So when he started publishing, he went from being Stanley Lieber and took on the pen name of Stan Lee to protect himself, right? Because mm -hmm. one day he still dreamed of writing the great American novel. And so, you know, he was just, he was essentially trying to protect himself. Right. Yeah. I, you know, when I was reading about him, I read that fact, you know, that he chose a pen name out of embarrassment, basically. Yeah. Because that job was seen as such low status and, you know, you fast forward 70 years and the guy is, you know, I mean, he's a legend. Yeah. A phenom. Every sense of the word. Yeah. And there's so much respect for that world that he helped create. And, and he brought respectability to it, you know, with his mm -hmm. level of writing and his skill. I don't want to make, you know, spoil anything in the story here, but I mean, the dude was influential so i i think that's fascinating that it started out as embarrassment and then that name becomes synonymous with quality in the world of comics yeah and with him too because he ended up making it his legal name many right, years later right. so yeah absolutely so before we continue gavin tell us about audible sure so audible is this amazing company that specializes in audiobooks. And if you want to learn a little more about Stan Lee and, you know, his amazing life, Audible has plenty of books about Stan Lee, including such titles as Stan Lee, The Man Behind Marvel, and Amazing, Fantastic, Incredible, A Marvelous Memoir, uh, co-authored by Stan Lee, Peter David, and Colleen Doran. There's tons and tons of books available to our listeners through Audible, and we actually have a special link at podcateers.com if you scroll down to the bottom, or you can just type into your browser window, audibletrial.com slash podcateers, and this link will get you a one-month free trial. During that month, you can get a free book, so you can get you know your free Stan Lee book right off the bat. And you're able to actually uh, sign up through your Amazon.com account. So everything is nicely connected. And anytime during that first 30 days, you can cancel. Uh, but that book that you did pick out uh, will be yours forever. So you don't lose it. If you decide you like Audible and you want to stay with it, you don't have to do anything. You will automatically be signed up and be a monthly subscriber. So if you want to bone up on your Stan Lee knowledge or any other topic through Audible, remember, just go to audibletrial.com slash podcateers. Well, thank you, sir. Appreciate that. You got uh, it. Let's jump back into the life of Stan Lee. Uh, so, yeah. So as Captain America, you know, became much more popular, uh, Joe Simon and Jack Kirby felt that Martin Goodman, 
you know, the owner of the publishing company wasn't really paying them the percentage of profits that they were originally promised. So they had this big dispute. And ultimately, they left Timely Comics to work for another company called the National Comics Publications, which may not immediately sound familiar to all of you listening, but they went on to become a little company known as DC Comics. Oh, <laughs> I learned something new. So there's that. Wow. <laughs> nice. After they left, uh, Goodman was put into this weird position because business had to continue, right? Mm -hmm. So he made Stan Lee, who at the time was 19 years old, the interim editor for, the, for his company. And so wow. Stan picked up the ball and he ran with it. You know, he he picked up on all the things that had to happen. He was very astute and he went on to become the comic book division's editor in chief and art director for the majority of the time that he was there until 1972 when he took over for Goodman as publisher. But again, more on that later. <laughs> um, the only break that he ended up taking was between 1942 and 1945 when he entered the United States Army and served as a member of the Signal Corps, repairing communications equipment. Uh, later, he was transferred to the Training Films Division where he was able to do some cartooning, but primarily he worked on writing manuals and making training films and writing slogans. And, you know, he would make these banners and stuff because he was good at writing copy and he was good at drawing so you know they basically put him to work doing doing that mm -hmm. so after the war the superhero boom kind of began to dissipate and goodman asked stan to write stories in a lot of different genres that included romance and westerns humor science fiction medieval adventure horror suspense you name it ah. you know they basically attacked every single genre and by then Timely Comics was generally known as Atlas Comics because uh, Goodman was trying to create this brand around the stuff that he was publishing. So Stan had teamed up with a gentleman by the name of Dan DiCarlo to produce a syndicated newspaper strip called My Friend Irma around that time, which was based on a radio comedy. So he was kind of working on that on the side when he got back from the war. But after some time, he got really unhappy where, where his career was going. And he considered moving away from the comic business. Wow. Oh, yeah. Wow. Doesn't that kind of blow your mind that Stan Lee yeah. almost didn't become Stan Lee? Seriously, what would the world be like if he did? Right? right? Super crazy. Crazy. You know, superhero comics kind of went through this period where people didn't really care about them. You know, they weren't as as beloved as they once were. But in 1956, DC Comics editor Julius Schwartz reinvented what was commonly known as the general superhero, you know, and he started by updating the Flash. So he modernized him uh, with a good amount of success and then replicated that same process with the Green Lantern. And then they created the Justice League. And so now all of a sudden they have this super team and that kind of kicked off what is now known as the Silver Age of Comics. So Martin Goodman, you know, wanted to get on this action too. So he asked Stan to create his own superhero team, but he almost didn't do it, you know, because he just kind of wanted to get out of the business. Like he's like, I'm done with this. I don't like where this is going, blah, blah, blah. And Stan's wife, Joan, who, had, who he had married in 1947, uh, convinced him to just experiment with stories that he liked. You know, since he was planning on moving on to a new career anyway, 
he really had nothing to lose. And so he jumped on it. You know, he started to, to write. He started to create. And at the time, comics were primarily for preteens. And superheroes were written in such a way that they were just too perfect. You know, when you think of where Superman came from, he was the the prototype of a pristine person. You know, even mm-hmm. though he was an alien from, mm-hmm. you know, another planet. But he was basically what everyone strived to be like, right? He was honorable. He was heroic. And that's really what superheroes were made to be at the time. They didn't have many flaws or problems that they couldn't quickly find a way out of. So Stan kind of thought of his creations in that direction. You know, he gave his superheroes a flawed humanity, which they've never really had before. So Stan introduced characters that were as complex as the people reading their stories. They had tempers. They suffered from depression. They argued with each other. You know, for the first time, characters were getting sick. You know, whoever heard of a superhero calling out sick on Monday? No, <laughs> no, I, I got the flu, guys. Can't make it out. Can't fight crime today. You know, but <laughs> his superheroes were getting sick. And, you know, they were worried about their everyday lives, like, how am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to pay my rent? How am I going to impress my girlfriend with these cool superpowers and not have anyone else find out about it? Mm-hmm. You know, what a problem to have, right? Right. Right. So uh, they had all these real world characteristics that anyone reading the comics could essentially relate to, except for the superpower part. But, you know, I'm just saying. By then, Jack Kirby had split ties with DC and had been freelancing for Atlas Comics, even though he was angry at Stan because he thought that he was the one that told Martin Goodman that he and Joe Simon were planning on leaving the company when they were first there uh, because they had concocted this plan of uh, trying to get more money you know, from Goodman. And Stan Lee and a few other people knew that they were possibly going to jump ship But then they were basically told by Goodman, yeah, you know what? Just finish what you're working on and see ya. And so because they were a little bitter about that and Stan was one of the only people that knew and he was so close to Goodman, you know, family, Mm -hmm. uh, they kind of blamed him. They felt that he was the one that had basically snitched on them. So anyway, so now uh, he's freelancing for Atlas Comics. And in 1961, uh, Atlas Comics rebranded as Marvel Comics. And Stan and Jack began working together to create their first superheroes. The first group that they created was the Fantastic Four. Uh, The Fantastic Four was based on characters that Jack had kind of already created called the Challengers of the Unknown. And that was actually published by DC Comics. So they weren't completely original. They were kind of a knockoff of something else that already existed, also created by Kirby. Wow. Wow. Learn something else, Su- too, now. <laughs> super weird, right? The The crazy thing was that compared to the Challengers of the Unknown, Fantastic Four was an instant success. Uh, oh, okay. This kind of led Marvel to create title after title of new characters. And so Stan and Jack started working together to create the Hulk, the X-Men. He worked with uh, Larry Lieber to create Thor. There you go, Gavin. There's, there's your oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, he created <laughs> Iron Man with Larry Lieber and Don Heck. Uh, and then Stan created Daredevil with Bill Everett, Doctor Strange with Steve Ditko, and arguably Marvel's most successful character, Spider-Man, which Stan and Jack worked on with Steve Ditko as well. 
So they also brought back uh, early characters like the Submariner uh, and Captain America. And then they gathered some of them with some of these new characters that they created and they formed the Avengers. Nice. So that was their that was their answer to the Justice League of America that DC had created, you know, not that long ago. But Marvel was leading the path on how stories were told. You know, there was a sense of community between Marvel fans and its creators. And they kind of pioneered new ways to develop their characters. And they ushered in new ways to tell stories in the comic books. Like Stan had introduced the practice of including a panel on the splash page that not only credited the the writer and the penciler, but also the inker and the letterer. Can, can you say that five times fast? The letterer? Letterer? letterer. Inker and letterer, inker and letterer, inker and letterer, inker and letterer. Well done! <laughs> uh, on this page, they also featured news about staff members at Marvel, which was something that was kind of unseen before, huh. right? It was super cool. So his goal was for fans to think of Marvel staff as friends. And he felt that this was a, a success when readers would send in letters uh, to the company, but instead of addressing them to Dear Editor, they were straight up addressed to Dear Stan and Jack. Nice. You know, so wow. when he started seeing the letters coming in directly to them and to the other writers and artists, he knew, you know, he had done the right thing. Mm-hmm. So can I pause here and ask a couple questions? Yeah. To see if you know. Yeah. So this is one thing I've I've been wondering, and I really don't know how it works, but you know, when we're saying Stan Lee and Jack Kirby created character A, like, do you know how their process worked? Was it, you know, Stan coming to Jack and saying, okay, I've written this character sheet that tells you, you know, what this character is, what his capabilities are, what his backstory is, his origin. Can you create a look for it? Mm -hmm. Or is it Jack Kirby says, hey, I drew this really cool superhero. What kind of story can you write for it? Like, was did one come before the other? It's like a chicken and the egg kind of question. That's actually a great question. And honestly, uh, along with a lot of other things that I wanted to talk about in this episode, I think would garnish an entirely new episode with an hour or two of content. But Got the it. short answer is that Jack Kirby was really the artist behind the characters themselves. So Jack Kirby gave them their look. Stan Lee gave them the written portion and gave them their humanity. Mm -hmm. You know, so that's kind of how that went. The partnership was, you know, a lot of the characters, they would collaborate and get ideas like, hey, what do you think about this? What do you think about that? But for the most part, Jack Kirby was the one that was creating like the look of the character themselves. Right. You know, right. with some input from Stan as like, you know, like we should create a character that this or that. So mm -hmm. I mean, does that does that kind of help? Yeah, it would. It's one of those things where I would love to be a fly on the wall at one of those like meetings oh, where yeah. they're just sitting down, like throwing out sketches and throwing out ideas. Like, what if we had a guy that like created a suit of iron and like he was <laughs> he was impenetrable and it gave him extra strength and, you know, like. I just I would love to hear those pitches and see where these ideas originate. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I agree with you. I think it, seeing the creative process of any 
creator or uh, any artist is an interesting one not just like for Mm -hmm. them right because everybody thinks so differently and everybody's processes so differently stan lee you know this is getting a little ahead in the story but stan lee had uh, a way of you know kind of pre-scripting or creating uh these little synopsis for the stories and they would kind of draw panels in that way and for a long time that became the marvel way of doing things right but it wasn't anything Mm -hmm. new he just took practices that already existed and adopted them into how he was was publishing and how he was being the editor for this magazine because remember he got into this super young he was 19 when he took over you know as the editor and so he kind of learned a lot of this on the fly he didn't have the experience from working with other companies or working with other publishers and uh i think the fact that he was also much younger than a lot of the other artists. Um, this is going to sound really horrible, and I'm not saying this to sound horrible, but I think as we get older, uh, as creative as we are, life takes over, and sometimes it's more difficult for us to hash through an idea. And so mm-hmm. we need to work with other people to begin to hash those ideas out. And so one, it's kind of like our Imagineering episodes, right? Yeah. Where we talk about one thing and that spawns another idea and that spawns another. And it's just this creative flow that happens. Whereas mm-hmm. people that are younger don't tend to have as much trouble doing that, at least in my opinion, because they don't have as many things bogging them down as many other adults do. And I could be completely wrong. You know, I there there could be some people that are like, here's 10 new characters today. And then tomorrow, here's another 74, you know, wow. but, Whoa. I know, but it could be right. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, I, I agree with you. I think the fact that they had a flow of collaboration that worked for them was great. Uh, I would love to just kind of see transcripts or something from those meetings, but mm-hmm. yeah, it w- it would be exciting mm-hmm. when we when we bust out the time machine and we get the parts that we need to finally put it together. That should be one Sweet. of our first stops. How about that? Absolutely, sure. All right. I like it. <laughs> so in the meantime, let's take the verbal time machine back to 1960. Cool. <laughs> uh, so throughout the 60s. Uh, Stan worked on scripting, art direction, and he edited most of the series produced by Marvel. And so he even moderated uh, letters pages. He constantly wrote promotional copy. He wrote a monthly column called Stan's Soapbox in uh, this thing called Marvel's Bullpen Bulletins, which, by the way, that's kind of where the whole Excelsior catchphrase originated from. Uh, Hmm. He used a lot of other generic closers, but other authors were copying him and so he felt that he needed something that was super unique that if somebody copied him he could be like hey that's mine (laughs) and so that's kind of where excelsior came from pretty epic and fun fact excelsior also the new york state motto no it's not yeah apparently it's the new york state motto are you serious yeah (laughs) (laughs) isn't that crazy (laughs) wow so yeah so uh what i was talking about earlier You know, he had this crazy workload. And so in order to meet all these deadlines, uh, he used this system where stories were based on these brief synopsises rather than a full script. And they called it the Marvel way, but that's only because Marvel was so popular, you know, that they just kind of adopted the name. But like I said earlier, he didn't come up with it. 
you know, was something that was already existed. But there were some people, believe it or not, that thought it hindered productivity. Guys like Steve Ditko and Jack Kirby were kind of known to skip on this method in order to get things done. Nice. Yeah. So they were kind of rebels in their own time. Um, But overall, uh, I don't think they use that method anymore. Uh, They might have some updated version, you know, like we talked about Mm -hmm. earlier, where they just kind of sit around a campfire, make s'mores and have a drink and just kind of discuss 74 new superheroes for the next week or something. I don't know. Who knows? But (laughs) I don't think they have that same Marvel method anymore. But I could be wrong. Mm -hmm. Anybody that works at Marvel that wants to correct me, please feel free. Uh, So 1966 was the year of the Spider-Man. After Steve Ditko left Marvel, John Romita Sr. began to collaborate on The Amazing Spider-Man. And in less than a year, it overtook the popularity of the Fantastic Four and became Marvel's like top selling title. Hmm. Uh, All of the Marvel stories addressed more real world issues like their social lives, the Vietnam War, political elections, student activism, uh, and they even took on racial barriers when they introduced Joseph Robertson, or also known as Robbie Robertson, uh, in August of 1967. He appeared in The Amazing Spider-Man number 51, and that was a big deal because he was the first African-American character in comics to play a serious supporting role instead of being used for comic relief. That was a huge step in the comic book industry and kind of any industry, I think. You know, I think when you think of the time that that it was produced, you know, they were breaking barriers. The Marvel was truly ahead of its time in a lot of of what they introduced. And we'll get a little bit more into that. But what year was that? In 1967. Okay. So that's basically uh, when Star Trek was doing the same thing on TV. That's awesome. Well, maybe Star Trek did it after Marvel. I'm just saying. It started in 66. Yeah, so I don't you know, whatever, so, buddy. whatever. I'm just saying <laughs> it's true. But I think there was there was still some reservations about doing that sure, you know, by, by many companies and many, many production companies and many publications. So the fact that, you know, Marvel and other companies or other productions like Star Trek were already doing it, uh, that shows progress, you know, and yeah. progress is always good. So agreed. Stan and Jack would also go on to create comics first mainstream black superhero, not based on a stereotype, but based on an African king. And uh, any guesses as to who that was, guys? I have a guess. Me too. Who is it, Gavin? Is it Black Panther? Sure is. And and what a choice it was considering what Black Panther raked in at the box office this year. Heck Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? It was... Not just a film. It was a movement. Oh, absolutely. So so way to go. Wakanda forever. Yes. (laughs) The Fantastic Four continued to blossom with these engaging storylines that included those with the Silver Surfer and Galactus. And in case you're wondering, yes, Stan Lee has stated that the most powerful villain in the uh, Marvel Universe is Galactus, not Thanos. So... When somebody can explain to me how he snapped in that big metal glove, you, you know, let's let's talk. But, uh, but before we continue, I wanted to quickly tell you about our special Amazon link. 
with the holidays coming up, Black Friday, Cyber Monday, and all that stuff you could be out there buying. If you shop on Amazon and you plan on getting anything this holiday season, make sure you start that journey over at podcateers.com slash Amazon and that you click on the big Amazon button on that page. That button will take you over to Amazon using our special link. You won't pay anything extra, but because you went through our link, Amazon will kick us down with a small commission as a thank you for mentioning them on the podcast. Plenty of books are available. You can also check out the blog post for this episode, podcateers.com slash 231. We'll have some links to some uh, awesome Stan Lee books, uh, some of the Marvel books on how to draw the comics and stuff like that. So You can get Excelsior, The Amazing Life of Stan Lee. You can also get Stan Lee, The Man Behind Marvel, The Marvel Encyclopedia, or Stan Lee's How to Draw Comics. All amazing books, especially if you're an artist and you want to know how to draw the Hulk, the Thing, Spider-Man, Wolverine, Iron Man, all your favorite characters. That's a great place to start. So again, podcateers.com slash Amazon. Click on the big Amazon button right before you make your next purchase on Amazon. To everyone that's taking the time to do that, thank you guys very much. And to all of you that aren't, don't forget to do it. Just a couple clicks. So do it. Go to podcateers.com slash Amazon. Help us out. <laughs> all right, let's get back to Stanley's story. So yeah, so the year after, uh, Stan and artist Gene Cullen made kind of history again and had another first in the industry when they created Falcon, who was uh, the comics first African-American superhero in Captain America. Uh, I think it was issue 117. So I'm about to toss a couple of very similar acronyms at you guys. So I hope I don't mix them up while I'm telling you guys this next portion, (laughs) uh, because I got confused, you know, reading all of this. So uh, in 1954, a group called the Comics Code Authority, a.k.a. the CCA, was formed by the Comics Magazine Association of America, a.k.a. the CMAA. Okay, this is where I got a little. Confused, okay. So I'm just throwing it out there. So the CCA was tasked with creating something called the Comics Code, which was basically a code of ethics that made sure that the comic books that your children were reading weren't a bad influence on them. So... Even though in the 60s and the 70s, things like using drugs were really common, it was against the CCA guidelines to put that into comic books. Every comic book that met those guidelines had a seal printed on the cover showing that it was approved by the CCA. And in 1971, however, Stan Lee and Marvel had an at a direct slash indirect hand at reforming those guidelines because... Marvel had a lot of influence on young readers. So that year, the U.S. Department of Health, Education, and Welfare, now just known as um, the Department of Health and Human Services, uh, approached Stan Lee about creating a storyline about drug abuse and how bad it can be. So Stan wrote this three-part story arc in The Amazing Spider-Man in, I think it was from May to July of 1971, where one of Peter Parker's best friends gets addicted to prescription drugs. And so Stan Lee admitted like years later at a Comic-Con or something that he had no idea, you know, what these drugs were. He He didn't do these drugs. He didn't know them by name or anything. So I think when he wrote it, he's like, he's on something. You know, that was the way of of how he portrayed these illegal drugs. The problem was that this was kind of against the CCAA. 
So he and Marvel actually had to go ask them for permission to publish the storyline. So he took this three-part story to the the CCA, and he was denied by the acting administrator, uh, John Goldwater, who also happened to be the publisher for Archie Comics. He was there because I guess the person that actually ran the, the organization, his name was Leonard Darwin, was out sick. You know, so he was kind of, you know, in his spot while he was out. Now, keep in mind that this story that the government had asked Stan Lee to write was intended to be a storyline to illustrate how bad drugs were. And it wasn't Mm -hmm. meant to push the readers to go out and try these um, these things that everybody was like going nuts over. Right. Mm -hmm. Plus, to make matters even more confusing, the CCA actually didn't state anything about drugs. So Goldwater, when he denied Stan Lee the ability to publish these with the seal, he used this vague subsection of the guidelines to deny the request called the the Standards Part C, which states and prohibits, and I quote, all elements or techniques not specifically mentioned herein, but which are contrary to the spirit and intent of the code, and are considered violations of good taste or decency. Now, I don't know why I use that voice, but it sounded like a stern voice to me. So uh, that's that's your code of conduct voice. Yeah. So. <laughs> that's, that's one of those, um, like, sections in a document like that that just gives them a ticket to judge whatever comes their way and if they exactly. like it they like it if they don't they don't exactly it's it's yeah. kind of like when you go get a job and then the last line in your job description is or anything else that is needed right yeah. you know? exactly <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so that would mean that if stan and if, if stan and marvel went through with publishing this three-part series they would be breaking this code that every comic publisher has been following for decades so uh, Stan gathered all of his things. You know, he took his three-part Spider-Man story back to Marvel, and he published the comic anyway without the seal. Nice, I like it. Yeah. So, wow. So wait, I have a question here. Yeah. So, so the C the CCA uh-huh. came up with the comics code. Like, what authority authority did they have? Was it just a commonly agreed upon code between comics publishers, or was it? you know, like backed by the government, in which case this is a weird contradiction because the government told them to write that story. Oh, I'm so glad you asked that question because it actually gets <laughs> into the next part of the story. Sweet, but, bring but, it. But to answer that, the the CMAA, which was the Comics Magazine Association of America, was developed in the 1930s when comics kind of began to have their boom. And so in order, because it was a lot of animated or a lot of drawn things, they didn't want kids to be looking at this and, and just have all these ideas that going out and killing and, you know, doing all these things were good. So they had this code of ethics where certain words couldn't be used, like certain things couldn't be drawn. And it was just a commonly agreed upon thing amongst publishers in the comic book world. The problem was that there really wasn't a government entity backing all of that. And that actually gets into why Stan Lee said, I'm going to do this anyway. Yeah. So you can't stop me. Yeah. So when when Stanley's spidey sense kind of started to tingle, uh, he felt that it would do more harm not to publish these. Plus, 
he felt that the U.S. government kind of took precedence over the CCA. And I agree, you know. Yep. So I think we're all agreement that we're all in agreement that, yeah, he was right. Yeah. And <laughs> readers actually didn't even care that the seal wasn't printed on the comic book. The comic sold faster than a free stack of pancakes on National Pancake Day. Dang, and that's fast. I know, I'm saying. <laughs> and it was one of the best-selling titles that they ever had. You know, teachers, wow. parents, even religious groups wow. sent letters to Marvel commending them for this series. You know, and wow. it kind of raised the eyebrows of a, a lot of people around the U.S. And it caused the CCA to turn their story around and update the comics code. They changed so much of it that you could actually begin to talk about these issues. And uh, as long as it, it was in a way that uh, would help the reader, ultimately, you know, even if it was a story arc. And that's why characters like Tony Stark were alcoholics, because it was something that they, they were dealing with in the comics. And I want to say that Carol Danvers also had a vice I don't remember exactly, but I think in, in the comics, she also uh, had an addiction that she was dealing with that they kind of story arced as well. But, you know, that moment where Stan kind of went up against the CCA is I, I think a lot of people consider it very similar to the moment that remember when Fred Rogers testified before the Senate to save the funding mm -hmm. for PBS Mm -hmm. Yes, that was kind of like Stan Lee's moment against the CCA because it kind of changed the comic book world, you know, because yeah. think of all the graphic novels and the content that we see now versus what was in a comic book that you read that you, you know, have the ability to read a, a digital copy of from 50 years ago. Totally different content, right? Totally yeah. different stories. And it's not just because of the time that it was produced. It's the way that the story is told. You know, mm -hmm. so, yeah, dude, Stan Lee was living his best superhero life. Like, yeah. he was out there doing doing good work for his peeps, right? That's awesome. Uh, almost a year later, in 1972, he had decided to stop writing monthly comics and take on the role of publisher. And the final issue that he worked on was The Amazing Spider-Man number 110 in, in uh, 1972. And his final Fantastic Four issue was number 125 um, a, couple year, a couple months after the last uh, Spider-Man that he worked on. The years that followed, Stan kind of became the public face for Marvel. He began to make appearances at conventions around the U.S. and he lectured at colleges and was a big part of panel discussions. And whether he was drawn in the comics, voiceover... He he just loved to appear in these creations. You know, he's he's the king of cameos. You know? <laughs> and yeah. Around that time, he had also uh, launched a Spider-Man comic strip uh, with John Romita Sr. And, and then in 1978, I guess what is widely considered to be Marvel's first graphic novel, uh, the final project that he and Jack Kirby worked on together was published. It was called The Silver Surfer, The Ultimate Cosmic Experience. Then he and John Buscema uh, introduced the world to Jennifer Walters, the savage She-Hulk in February mm -hmm. 1980. Uh, in case you don't know, she was the female cousin of Bruce Banner, a.k.a. the Hulk, who, by the way, 
uh, his work on anti-electron collisions is unparalleled. Plus, I'm sure we're all huge <laughs> fans of how he loses control and turns into that enormous green rage monster. So uh, if any of you guys got that reference, you're awesome. <laughs> uh, before we continue, just want to quickly remind you that this episode of Podcasters is brought to you by our podcast, Fairy Godparents, or as they like to call themselves, the FGP Squad. Uh, the FGP Squad are listeners just like you that help us out with a monthly contribution via Patreon. And if you would like to do the same, you can get a little bit more information by heading over to podcasters.com slash FGP. You'll find a little story about the FGP squads, a list of some of the people that are helping us out monthly on Patreon, a link to how you can sign up. And you can sign up to be a part of the FGP squad for as little as $1 a month. But for a contribution of at least $5, you also get the exclusive Fairy Godparent button as a thank you for your support. To all of our current Fairy Godparents, we just want to send out a huge Thank you for your support in making this and other episodes possible. And with that, let's get back to the episode. Uh, in 1981, Stan moved out to California to develop movies and TV shows for Marvel, which he executive produced and, of course, made cameos in. Uh, Stan was even president of Marvel for a brief period, but ultimately stepped down after a short time because... Uh, he felt that being president was too much about the numbers and finance, and there wasn't enough of that creative process that he loved to engage in. And then by the 1990s, uh, even though he remained a part of the company as chairman emeritus, he stepped away from his regular duties at Marvel to pursue other ventures. So after hmm. the 1990s, uh, Marvel was largely without Stanley, largely, hmm. but still kind of there. He went on to create an internet-based superhero creation, production, and marketing studio called Stanley Media in 1998 with his then-friend Peter Paul. Uh, the company grew to employ about 165 people. And in 1999, uh, they went public through a reverse merger when they acquired Boulder Capital Opportunities, Inc. But Stan and the company were plagued with lawsuits, uh, including one, believe it or not, by his co-founder, Peter Paul, who was trying to take control of the company called Stan Lee Media of Colorado, the successor of Stan Lee Media. But near the end of 2000, investigators discovered tons of illegal stock manipulation by Paul and one of the corporate officers, and the company filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection in February of 20, uh, February 2001. Um, and then Paul was extradited to the U.S. from Brazil and pled guilty to manipulating the stock price of Stanley Media, violating like um, like an SEC rule. Wow! But, but Stanley was never implicated. You know, after all all the research and everything and all the investigations, they found that Stan had really nothing to do with it, that it was between these two other people. Hmm. And so uh, in 2001, he moved on and he formed a new company with Gil Champion and uh, Arthur Lieberman called POW, Purveyors of Wonder, so POW Entertainment, in order to develop more film, television, and video game properties. One of the projects, I actually vividly remember this, um, was an adult animated series for Spike TV that featured the, uh, the voluptuous Pamela Anderson as a double agent nice. superhero slash, let's call it exotic dancer. 
<laughs> um, so that same year is when things got, uh, I would say, interesting for the hardcore <laughs> Marvel slash DC fans because Stan Lee, yes, the man that waved the Marvel flag proudly above his head and created most of the characters that we love, created comics for DC. Nice. He helped launch a series called Just Imagine, where he reimagined DC superheroes. So he uh, reimagined Superman, Batman, Wonder Woman, Green Lantern, and The Flash. Wow. So it wasn't it wasn't a huge series, but there is DC artwork and DC comics with the name Stan Lee out there. My mind is wow. blown. Wrap your head Again. around that for a second, right? <laughs> yeah. And when you think about the the vitriol that is spewed on the internet between Marvel and DC fans. Right. <laughs> yeah. And you think to yourself, well, Jack Kirby, huge Marvel dude, worked for DC. Stan Lee, the Marvel dude, kind of worked for DC. You think to yourself, it's a small world after <laughs> all. <laughs> You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> so, yeah, so if that wasn't enough... You know, that, you know, Stan had kind of left Marvel, was kind of still paid by them. Uh, Then he goes and does this thing for DC. In 2002, he sued Marvel (laughs) following the success of uh, Fox's X-Men and Sony's Spider-Man film. (laughs) Crazy, right? Is that because he didn't get get paid for those? Yeah. So the suit claimed that Marvel wasn't paying him his share of the profits. Um, Okay. uh, The thing was that he created these characters when he was employed by Marvel. So technically, Marvel owned the characters, not Stan. Oh. You know, so the twist was that in the 90s, Marvel had promised him 10% of any future profits. When they found out that that was true, they settled for an undisclosed seven-figure amount in 2005. I know. It's crazy. Uh, In 2004, POW Entertainment uh, went public, and then Stan set out to capture the hearts of Beatles fans around the world when he announced a superhero TV show for the UK that would feature none other than former Beatle Ringo Starr as the lead character as a reluctant superhero. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea he had a Beatles connection. Yeah. I am seeing Gavin's face. great. Oh, for real. <laughs> I need to find this. Okay. Wow. So you won't. Oh, no. Uh, because it never got made. <laughs> Oh, that's why I don't know. So about the thing it. about POW Entertainment was that there was a lot of ideas on the table, but a lot of them actually never got made. Man. But Man. I specifically mentioned that one, not because I was trying to tease you, but because <laughs> I know how big of a Beatles fan you are. And just knowing that Stan Lee had a connection to the Beatles and Ringo Starr, I knew would just warm your heart. That's amazing. So you're welcome. Wow. <laughs> I can just imagine Ringo defending the planet with his mighty drumsticks. <laughs> well, remember, he was a reluctant superhero. So uh, yeah, he, he would have thought about first. it and then defended the planet. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, so a couple of years later, uh, 2006 rolled around and 
Stan hosted, co-created, executive produced, and judged a reality TV show competition on the Sci-Fi Channel called Who Wants to Be a Superhero? I remember that. You guys remember that? Yes. No? What? Dude, you can still find clips of this on YouTube. It was really cool. What what was the idea? Like, what do you mean? Who, Who wants to be in a superhero film? No. No. It was an, you want to describe it, Melissa? Sure. Um, pretty much it was a, you know how they have like baking contests or like yeah. um, ink masters where they get the top people who do things. Well, they had about maybe, gosh, eight to 10 people who had their own superpower where this guy conducted electricity, like, or this guy would was able to eat everything from glass to whatever, or this guy who was really strong. I mean, legit stuff without mm-hmm. gadgets. Some of these guys are sounding like the mystery men. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. I can eat stuff. It was really a little awesome. Bit. Real good. And they actually had them go through different, <laughs> like, obstacles, and it was really cool. I mean, you would l- totally love it. Hmm. Suspicious am I? <laughs> it w- Dude, I'm telling you, I'm going to try to find a couple of clips of it on YouTube and I'll put it in the blog post for the episode. Go check it out over Sweet. at pocketeers.com slash 231. It- <laughs> it's a lot of fun. If you can watch full episodes and you're a, a superhero fan, uh, give it a watch. Yeah. It's wow. kind of an amazing train wreck. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely entertaining. Oh, that's great. Uh-huh. Yeah, (laughs) I definitely could not look away when I was watching it. I remember watching, uh, I think it was on for two seasons. I believe so. uh, But I remember watching it for some time and just thinking, why? (laughs) (laughs) Amazing. Uh, So, yeah. So, uh, anyway, in, in 2007, Stan was involved in more lawsuits. After Stanley Media had been purchased by Jim Nesfield, the company that filed a lawsuit against Marvel Entertainment for $5 billion, uh, the claim was that Stan had relinquished rights to several Mar- Marvel characters to Stanley Media in exchange for stock and a salary. Months later, Stanley Media sued Stan and his newer company, Pow Entertainment, and one of its subsidiaries. I, you know, I mentioned earlier in the episode that. There's a lot of stuff that I think we could get into, but would literally add another hour or two to this. So I'm going to sure. skip over some of that. Yeah. You know, maybe we'll talk about it in a future episode, but he 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 got a lot of heat for this. So, yeah, I'm just going to kind of skip over all these lawsuits and everything. Uh, if you want to research it, you know, hit up Google and, and check out what was happening with all of that. So but going back to some cool stuff about Stan uh, that same year. Comic-Con made him uh, into a Marvel Legends Stan Lee action figure. You know, that's that's nice. how you know you've made it, right? right. And you're an action yeah. figure. Uh, and then in 2008, the MCU happened. You know, all that work that Stan had done in the past with his TV shows and the movies that never really hit uh, with major audiences was completely turned upside down when Iron Man hit theaters in May of 2008. Uh, And one of the things that Marvel fans have really grown to love was the tradition that Stan continued in the MCU, which was all of his cameos. 
you know, mm-hmm. because he, he was he was appearing in things, whether they were uh, Marvel or Disney, you know, soon after or not. You know, he appeared in Sony's version of Marvel films. He appeared in, in mm-hmm. all the other stuff. He appeared in cartoons. He appeared in the TV shows. Um, one thing that I thought was super funny going back to D.C., was that he actually appeared in the Teen Titans Go to the Movies film uh, as himself. What? He like he falls on top of I don't remember if it's a golf cart or one of these tricycle things that they're riding across a lot. And then he's like, hey, kids, I don't care if this is a Marvel movie or not. I'm Stan Lee. I love cameos. (laughs) And then Robin's like, we don't have time for you right now, Stan Lee. Get away. And then he like brushes him (laughs) off. So uh, I thought Uh, it was super cool that he appeared uh, in that film as well. In October 2011, Stan had announced that he was partnering with 1821 Comics to create Stan Lee's Kids Universe, which was a multimedia venture that created more content targeted towards children. Uh, the year after, he announced at San Diego Comic-Con that he was launching Stan Lee's World of Heroes on his YouTube channel, and it featured programs created by himself, Mark Hamill, Peter David, Adrian Curry, and Bonnie Burton, just to name a few. So, you know, nobody big, just just a couple people <laughs> that were up-and-comers, you know? Right. Just friends um, of Stan. Yeah. <laughs> also, in September of 2012, Stan underwent a procedure to insert a pacemaker. Uh, and that was kind of the beginning of him slowing down his appearances and, you know, panel talks at conventions and stuff. I mean, he still made appearances, but it wasn't, you know, as big and he didn't travel as much as he used to. Then in July of 2017, uh, his wife of 69 years, Joan, uh, passed away. Uh, she was 95 years old when, when she passed away. And so uh, I think that really slowed down Stan even more, you know. And then uh, in April of this year, uh, I mean, Stan's had a really tough year. Yeah. Uh, in mm-hmm. a- April of this year, you know, claims reported by The Hollywood Reporter stated that Stan was a victim of elder abuse. You know, and one of the key people named was his business manager that had been keeping him away from people that he trusted and and associates after his wife's passing, mainly to obtain access to his wealth, which at the time was estimated at around $50 million. You know, uh, ultimately, this person was issued a restraining order to stay away from Stan, his daughter, and any of his associates for three years. But unfortunately, three months later, uh, on November 12th, uh, we received the news that Stanley had passed away at the age of 95. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's an amazing career. Oh yeah, you know that Stanley had, yeah, and is. like I said earlier, there's tons of stuff that I didn't get into because I think maybe we could dedicate it as part of stories in upcoming episodes. But you know, the he had this weird rivalry with Jack Kirby. Where when Jack Kirby came back to Atlas, you know, prior to them really becoming Marvel, you know, I mentioned that he was he was angry at Stan, you know, because he thought that he was the one that had told uh, the publisher that they were going to be leaving. So they didn't get fair representation in their eyes because they kind of went into it knowing that they were going to be fired, basically, you know. So when he came back, he always kind of held that over Stan's head. Stan also when he became the figurehead of Marvel and he was kind of out there talking to people, going to conventions and everything, 
there was a lot of people that felt that Stan didn't really give the credit to other artists the way that they felt they wanted the credit for most of the characters. Jack Kirby had some issues with Stan where they didn't talk for a really long time. It wasn't until, uh, man, I wish, I, I wish I remember when it happened, but there was one convention or one event that they were doing together where they kind of finally were in the process of trying to reconcile where they said, hey, look, if I give you a call, will you answer my call? And are you willing to go to lunch so that we could put this beef aside finally? But for a long time, you know, they weren't speaking. They were angry at each other. And primarily Jack Kirby was angry at Stan Lee, you know, more than Stan Lee was angry at Jack Kirby. But I think a lot of it had to do with the success that Stan had built you know, throughout his career. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's a it's a whole interesting story that I think we can get into in another episode. But that all of the lawsuit stuff, there was a lot of other companies and a lot of other ventures that he started as well. But yeah, man, what what an interesting life, you know, absolutely to go from wanting to be a novel writer, you know, and starting off as a guy that brought people sandwiches. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to mm-hmm. to being this legend, this phenom in this industry. You know, Stan Lee essentially defined what comics are and or were and are for a lot of readers, for a lot of convention goers, for cosplayers. What a life. What an imagination. Yeah. Because, man, I, just everything that just came out. I mean, geez, like... I don't know what's inside his brain. That's it's just amazing. Like all these characters and whatnot. And you were talking about how many they were busting out and what. Yeah. Mind blown. Just yeah. mind blown. It, it goes to what Gavin was talking about earlier, right? To be a fly on the wall yeah. at one of those meetings where they were creating the characters and just. Oh, man. So much to do in that time machine. Right. <laughs> so much to do. <laughs> So we wanted to take a moment and we wanted to reflect on some of Stan's co-creations. And we wanted to talk about our favorite characters, favorite cameos, uh, favorite Marvel movies. We asked you listening some of the same questions and we wanted to share some of your answers in this episode as well. So we're going to start off with the first, um, I guess, mini poll that we ran on our Instagram stories, Mm -hmm. uh, which was the question, who is your favorite Marvel character? Uh, let's start with you, Melissa. Before we go on to read these answers, who's your favorite Marvel character? A lot of you are going to say Iron Man, but I kind of had to think about this one, and it's actually Storm from X-Men. Really? Yeah. Nice. It's a good choice. She's been one of my favorites since growing up, and who wouldn't want to control the weather? <laughs> She's awesome. So, yes, it is not Iron Man. Rejoice. I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Quiet you. (laughs) You want to hear you want to hear a tidbit about Storm that many people may not know? Sure. Yes. She marries T'Challa. What? Yeah. Wow. That just makes me extra happy. Yeah, she marries T'Challa. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to get into that. Isn't it crazy? (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) All right, Gavin. Your favorite Uh, character. Spoiler alert, I'm not picking Iron Man either. <laughs> what? Uh, <laughs> uh, 
Uh, yeah, I'm going with the blonde bronze god himself, Thor. <laughs> the space pirate? <laughs> <laughs> he is definitely my favorite uh, Avenger and my favorite Marvel character. I, I love characters based on, you know, mythology and, you know, things like that. So that's, that's kind of why I like uh, Wonder Woman as well. I just like his origin story and uh, I like the way he's portrayed in the movies. So, yeah, he is my pick. I will, uh, full disclosure, I have never read any Thor comics, but it is on my list um, of comics to read. So uh, that review is forthcoming. Cool. Well, all right. We look forward to that, sir. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert, I am choosing Iron Man. <laughs> Shocker. <laughs> Uh, you know, it's so funny because I, I think I've talked about this on the podcast. I know I've talked about this with you guys, but, you know, growing up, I was a, a big Superman fan. When Superman died in the Doomsday series and they did the whole funeral for a friend, I I, I really felt Superman died. Like, in my heart, I, I really felt that I lost a big part of myself when that happened. Even though they brought back Superman in, in several different incarnations, I never got into it the same way again. You know, I felt betrayed, mm -hmm. essentially, by by Superman and by the comics because I was groomed to believe that, you know, he was omnipotent. You know, I, right. I was groomed to, to, to know that he was never going to die. Mm -hmm. And when that happened... I, uh, I, I, I literally felt betrayed. And so I went through this period where Wolverine kind of became my de facto uh, superhero. And so, I mean, if we're really, if we're really going back to like my favorite, you know, Marvel character origins, uh, really it was a toss up between Wolverine and Gambit. Wolverine because he was just BA yeah. all around. Like he like, wow. Right. Right. <laughs> but Gambit held a special place in my heart because Remy uses playing cards yep. as his weapon of choice. And as a lover of card magic, it it just spoke to me that he was using that as one of his favorite weapons because he was kind of a grifter. He was a hustler, right? He he would always use cards in his in everyday games. But when he found out that he was a mutant, he would use that to charge him up, use him as explosives. Um, so kind of that, that's really where my origins of superhero fandom come, especially for Marvel, but the MCU kind of changed all of that for me. You know, even though I had seen the X-Men movie, I had seen the Spider-Man movie with Tobey Maguire. I didn't connect with a superhero the way that I connected with Tony Stark. And it was Tony Stark's love of tech and his snarkiness that I just like, oh, my God, I <laughs> need to be that man. <laughs> and uh, it's, you know, it just kind of started my, my love of Iron Man as a character, you know, and that's kind of where I've been, you know, since then. I've I've gone back and I've read stuff for other characters and uh, I, I do enjoy a lot of the other characters particularly particularly the snarky ones like rocket and drax <laughs> <laughs> but um yeah i think 
you know, it's not just the, the, the cool Iron Man suit, you know, it's just kind of the all round package and including, you know, all of the flaws that he had in the comic books when he did go through, you know, he, he was an he is an alcoholic in the comic books or was, you know, because now we have, you know, new characters and stuff. But uh, yeah, you know, all around, I think the character was was cool and how they wrote him, portrayed him, I thought was really well done. So. That's nice. where my love of Iron Man comes from. Well, until you mentioned the alcoholism, I was going to jump in and say, dude, you are the Tony Stark of our show, but <laughs> I don't want to make it sound like you're an alcoholic. So. Well, with the exception of. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know if I'm the Tony Stark of our show, but I appreciate the sentiment nonetheless. <laughs> you got it. Uh, so let's read some of the answers that we got on the Instagram story. Sure. Yeah. Our friend Brittany. Citizen of Disney said Spider-Man, the X-Men, Iron Man. Ah, too hard to choose one. I agree. <laughs> but let's go with the last one. I'm just saying. Not uh, because I'm I trying think... to show bias. But... <laughs> nice. <laughs> just saying. Uh, KB Torres 91 said Bucky Barnes. Wow. Really? Nice. Yeah. Interesting. Bucky's an interesting choice, too, because Bucky was a bad guy. Right. Yeah. You know, he was kind of a bad guy. You know who else started off as a villain and then kind of redeemed himself and turned out to be one of the characters I really enjoy watching on screen now? Who? Stephen Strange. Really? Yeah. Doctor Strange started off as a villain in the Marvel oh, Universe. Interesting. I would That's, not I have known that, that. Yeah. Very good. Our friend Alex, Regina Drago 13 on Instagram says, Hulk, mean green fighting machine. Especially after my beau, Mark Ruffalo, took over. I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Charlie would definitely agree with that. The Mark Ruffalo part or the Hulk part? The Ruffalo part. Yeah, so would my wife. (laughs) (laughs) He's my number two, so good pick, Alex. (laughs) Yeah, and you know what? Uh, not Not to speak ill of any of the former, you know, Hulks, but Mark Ruffalo is definitely my favorite uh, Hulk of all of them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He's yeah, awesome. I think he's done the best job with bringing that character to life, but also giving him a humanity yeah. that I think mm-hmm. we need to see in the Hulk that we don't commonly see. Uh, so way to go, Mark Ruffalo. Sorry you got fired from Avengers Infinity War. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag inside joke. Martin Too Sweet on Instagram says Spider-Man. Ooh, nice. That's yeah, two Spider-Man. for Spidey, right? Uh, well, we may have three... <sighs> officially slash unofficially because paparazzi mike also said spider-man nice uh then we also had a message from our pal david who said the hulk as well so a couple Ooh, hulks there you go a few spider-mans definitely an iron man in there ish Brittany, thank you <laughs> <laughs> and then we got bucky for that one so uh it's a good list yeah i like it yeah. Uh, next question that we posted on our IG stories was from movies to TV shows, which Stanley cameo is your favorite? Melissa, let's start with you. <laughs> um, I'm actually, I had to think about this one, but it's actually from Big Hero 6 mm. because he's not in it, but it's that moment when you, you're walking by and you're like, wow, like he's just portrayed as royalty in that painting (laughs) but at the very end that little moment that he has i mean that was awesome yep (laughs) yeah that is a great one dad very good (laughs) (laughs) when you hear fred just say like hey dad right it's like oh my what 
And then when they go on and repeat the motto with the underwear. <laughs> yes. Oh, yes. I go front, back. I go inside yeah. out. And then I go front <laughs> and back again. <laughs> yes. yes. I agree. Like father, like son. Mm -hmm. Genius. Uh, Gavin. Good. All right, so I got a few honorable mentions. This this was the hardest one because he's done so many cameos, mm -hmm. and I actually find those to be some of the most entertaining moments in the movies. Is like I kind of watch them, you know, hunting for Stanley. Like, where is he going to pop up? Mm -hmm. And I I think he's a really funny and charming guy, so it's it's really cool to see him do it. So I love in the two thousand three version of Hulk. Uh, his cameo in that one where he's basically a security guard and he walks out the door with Lou Ferrigno, uh -huh. his security yeah. guard partner. <laughs> so it's like a double cameo there. <laughs> I like that one. Um, I like the one in Winter Soldier when he's the another security guard at the museum or whatever and he walks into the Captain America exhibit and the his suit is gone. Oh, and the Smithsonian. Off the mannequin. And yeah. he's just like, I am so fucked. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I love that. And then I think it's an age of Ultron when Thor and Captain America are drinking some Asgardian liquor. Yeah. And Thor's like, dude, you guys can't handle this. And he's, Stan Lee is like a war veteran and he's like hanging out with his World War II buddies. And he's like, whatever, drop the tough act. Give me, give me some of that stuff. And then it, the, it cuts to them like dragging him out and he's like totally drunk. And he just says, Excelsior. Yeah. I love that. So those are like, three honorable mentions for me but you guys know i'm 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 all animation so i actually am 100 percent with melissa on this one and it's the big hero <laughs> six cameo that takes the cake for nice. me i love like you said that first moment where you see him in that painting you're like wait that's Stan uh -huh. Lee. And then, yeah, when he shows up at the end and and voices himself, that uh, that's just priceless. I, I love that they made him Fred's dad in that movie because it's so random and awesome. Right. <laughs> yeah. That's my fave. Awesome. Yeah, those are all so good, dude. You know, I had the same trouble as you did choosing uh, my favorite because there are so many. You know, he's mm -hmm. and, and he's done a lot ranging all the way back to when he first started creating the comics because he would kind of draw himself in them. And man, I guess honorable mentions uh, obviously is um, when when I found out that he would add himself to certain cartoons as himself and he would talk to characters like spider-man it's like yeah in the stories that i create with you spider-man you're this this and this and then spider-man's answering like yeah that's how i live my life you know so <laughs> it's this crazy meta universe that you know spider-man knows he was drawn by stan lee and yet he's having mm -hmm. a conversation with him and yet he's web slinging <laughs> around you know in in the city uh i thought that was super great um mm -hmm. fred's dad is obviously an, an amazing one um well the first one where he was where tony thought that he was like hugh hefner or something, yeah and oh, he like yes. pats him while he's talking to the women i think was a really good one <laughs> um one of my favorite ones though is when in i think it's in guardians 2 where he's talking to to like he's a watcher informant Mm -hmm. You know, and he's kind of talking uh, to these celestial beings. And th there was this whole thing about how people thought he was Owatu the Watcher. 
and I still kind of believe he's Owatu the Watcher. But if if I had to narrow it to one of the existing ones, and, and I'm going to give you my honest answer in a bit, and it's going to sound super cheesy and like I'm, you know, I'm finding a way out of it. But if I have to choose one that already <laughs> exists... Uh, it's going to be when he was the FedEx driver in Civil War and he's all like, Tony Stank, <laughs> you know, <laughs> when he's like trying to deliver something yeah. to, to Tony. Uh, I thought that was uh, super funny and it just kind of makes fun of, you know, the characters. Um, but oh, to sound man. super cheesy, uh, I think my favorite appearance is going to be his last one in the next film. Because oh, it, yeah. it just kind of symbolizes the end of an era for Stan. Mm-hmm. You know, so, uh, yeah, <laughs> sorry, super cheesy, but I, right. I'm going to go nice. with that. I'm going to go with the FedEx one for ones that exist. And for ones that don't exist, uh, I'm going to go with whatever his final one is. And I don't know if that's going to be in Captain Marvel or if it's going to be in Avengers 4. But whichever one it happens or to be. Or in Marvel Land. Or in Marvel Land somewhere. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Yeah. Because yeah. he's already in Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. Mission Breakout. True. So True. So we'll see. Uh, <sighs> all right. Did we get any responses from our poll? We did. Uh, we had some great Sweet. answers. So uh, Anthony Helmer says Avengers Age of Ultron. So nice. that was the the one that you were talking about where he was super <laughs> drunk. One, yeah. yeah, that was a great one. PNK Poser, the his appearance in Deadpool when he's the club nice. DJ. Uh-huh. That's also a really great one. <laughs> Miss Tony A. Posada, Tony Stank for nice. the win. <laughs> Such a great line. I love that one. It, it, yes. He's so he's like, ah, Tony Stank. I love it. Yes, this is Tony Stank. Yeah. <laughs> That's a great DJ name. <laughs> right? Uh, our buddy Jesse says, anytime he had a speaking role, but my favorite is when he hung out with the Watchers. When we when people started thinking that he was oh, a Watcher. Yeah. 13 Tay uh, said, Spider-Man Homecoming. Nice. That's when he was Gary. Brittany said, Civil War. Very Again, cool. the FedEx driver, Tony Stank. Uh, but also, <laughs> but also, she did mention Big Hero 6 as well. Sweet. And then she goes on to uh, mock herself by saying, I'm really good at choosing just one. Don't worry, Brittany. So are we. <laughs> <laughs> as you can tell by all of our honorable mentions. <laughs> so, yeah, those are all great. I love those as well. So thank you for participating in our Instagram polls. We love hearing your answers for all of these as well. In general, what would you say your favorite Marvel movie is, guys? I mean, is is it going to be a huge surprise considering who some of our favorite characters are? <sighs> Not for me. <laughs> oh, it's I can't there's choose. so many good ones. There right? are, yeah. Yeah, I mean my my favorite uh, series is the Thor series. And my favorite Thor movie is probably still the first one, just because I really love um, all of the design work that went into Asgard. Mm. Uh, That's what really drew me to that uh, movie in the first place. And then I just kind of fell in love with the character as well. So I'm probably still going with the first Thor, with Thor Ragnarok being a very close second. Mm. 
My my favorite Thor series is Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> that one's a funny one. <laughs> I could care less about the other two, man. <laughs> yeah, I know that it's it's weird. They're they're really low ranked for most people, and I'm not sure why. Because I I think they're really really good. Yeah. Um, I don't know, man. I just feel like Ragnarok was the Thor we were meant to get from the very beginning. Yeah, and it's as close to a Hulk movie as we're going to get in the MCU, I think. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got a question. Yeah. Did you guys know, I'm learning, I've been learning a lot of stuff as of recent, but did you know that Stan Lee actually looked up to Walt Disney? Really? Uh, I'm sure he did. Yeah. yeah. There was a clip that I had seen. Okay, so that I guess this is leading up to Big Hero 6 probably being my favorite Marvel movie, even though it's not... A lot of people argued. Yeah, that's dumb. Yeah. A lot of people argued about I forgot it. But that that's Marvel. The sentiment behind it when Stan had mentioned how he admired him and to know that he was going to be part of this company, like this animation mm-hmm. film, you know, made him, you know, excited and, and just he loved it. He loved the the mm-hmm. opportunity. So I think I'm going to say Big Hero 6. Yeah, I gosh dang it. I'm changing my oh, answer because I was only thinking of MCU films and I forgot about Big Hero 6, even though I picked that cameo as my favorite cameo. <laughs> oh, man, I did not do that very well. But yes, once again, Mel, you and I are on the same yeah. page. Big Hero 6, easily my favorite Marvel movie. Hmm. Interesting. Although... Into the Spider-Verse is looking pretty awesome, yeah. and I can't wait. Yeah. I really can't wait, because that looks incredible. It does. I'm actually looking forward to that a lot. Um, so I'm going to choose Frozen. Oh, God. <laughs> <laughs> what a dork. Oh, man. There is a superhero in that, though. <laughs> there is, but, uh, uh, you know... Elsa doesn't fly. <laughs> there is that. Um, I think I'm gonna get, I'm gonna get some uh, horrible feedback for this, but I think l- knowing what leads into Avengers four, or at least kind of knowing what may lead up into uh, Avengers four, and how certain uh, characters, you know, may be coming back. There might be some time travel, you know, with which is. One of the things we learned at the end of Ant Man, mm-hmm. you know, and I think I'm gonna say um, Infinity War. Wow. Yeah. Uh, Interesting. Pri- primarily because uh, it's unlike anything we've ever seen before, and you know we've said already that it's likely we're never gonna see something like this again, where mm-hmm. a franchise builds to something like this for a decade plus true you know and the fact that all the stories were interwoven so well i mean there was some inconsistencies you know with the timelines but that film did a really good job of balancing all of these characters that we became familiar with over a decade and every one of them felt like they were represented very well and I'm sure that's going to happen in Avengers 4 when they finally culminate this. But one of the biggest things that I liked about it wasn't just that, but it it gave us this feeling at the end that not everything has a happy ending. 
Yeah. And as as contradictory as that sounds to how we would like to live our lives, it felt more real life than anything we've ever seen. Mm-hmm. You know, and that feeling of sadness that that which which is horrible, right? But you can't feel happiness without feeling sadness. And right. that feeling at the end and knowing that all of these characters were vulnerable and knowing that not all of them may come back and continue as part of this universe that you've grown to love does does give you a sense of melancholy and makes you feel like this is more real life than I thought, you know, because a lot mm-hmm. of these films are based in act in reality. You know, they're in New York. They're in all these cities that we know of in the real world. But there's always a separation. You know, you know that there's a separation between real world and the film world. But at the end of this film, I felt that that barrier broke. You know, it was a weird feeling. And because of how it culminated and because it just got me to feel things that I don't think I felt in any other film before, um, I, I got to give it to Infinity War. Nice. I agree with everything you said. All very good reasoning, yeah. So, yeah, man. Uh, I mean, I, I wish we could continue talking about Stan Lee because, like I said, there's just so much about him that, you know, has changed the comic book industry and has changed the lives of so many people. You know, there's like guys like Joe Quesada, who who served as CEO of Marvel, you know, comic book artist and you know, there was a, a Comic-Con not too long ago where he spoke and said, you know, one of the reasons that he got into comics was, remember what we talked about when Stan had gone up against the CCA to change the code of conduct? Mm-hmm. That his father found out about that and how they published the storyline. And his father was the one that told him, you need to start reading this. Hmm. You know, and so it was his dad that basically got him into comic books because of that one instance. And then he learned wow. about it later on and he went on to run Marvel. You know, we, we've we've talked with Brian Crosby, who's uh, the director of Marvel themed entertainment at Marvel. You know, if you haven't heard his episode, it was a great episode about yeah. his career. We'll link to it in the blog post for the episode. Podcasters.com slash 231. If you want to if you want to check that out. Um, but he talked about how, you know, in his family, you know, a lot of them were into sports. You know, his family members went on to play sports. They were all kind of jocks. But he loved comics. He loved comic books, you know. And, and now, look, it's led him to have a career with this company that he grew up loving. When I think about all the, the kids and, and when I think about my kids and I see them drawing and creating these little flip books and you know, showing me these things that sometimes don't make any sense to me, but to them make absolute <laughs> sense. You know, yeah. all I can think is that could lead into this this thing where they work for Marvel or they work for this company that they're going to love one day. Maybe they can work for Disney. Who knows? You know, but it just it, it shows you that your imagination can lead you to do anything. And yep. the the way that Walt taught us, you know, that it all started with a mouse. You know, it all started with his imagination. Stan Lee taught us the same thing for comics. You know, it just, it took that one moment, you know, when he was 19 years old to be put in charge and his imagination just ran with it. And he became one of the biggest names in history. 
Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and as comic book lovers, as artists, as creators, you know, we I think we owe a lot to guys like Stan Lee and all of the co-creators that he created these these heroes and these villains and these stories that have that we've not only grown to love but have also molded the way that we see the world in many cases you know so uh, i don't think we'll at least we'll never get the chance you know to say thank you to stanley in person but i think we can take this opportunity to say thank you to to him to all of his co-creators and to all of the people that currently work on these characters and the products that we see at Disney parks and that we see, you know, at conventions and all, and all this stuff. So thank you to all of you for continuing Stan's legacy. Thank you, Stan Lee, for everything that you've done. Here, here. Uh, so on that, do you guys have any final notes before we wrap up today's episode, guys? No, just I've learned a lot today and... Like you said, you know, thank you, Stan, and everybody who's given us these characters, these stories. I mean, the imagination. It's what else can you say? Just thank you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I've said on the show a lot of times before that, you know, I'm not a big superhero guy. I'm not a huge Marvel fan, but, you know, total respect for a person who has really defined an industry and, shaped so much of the modern entertainment world and you know changed the way that we consume this type of media whether it be the comic books or the movies and tv shows that they spawn so yeah i mean the guy really changed that world and uh he will be missed and hopefully there are successors in the pipeline that will continue that legacy of incredible creativity that he started so here's to the future well said and as our friend Fillmore says fly away stanley be free the feel be free stan <laughs> <laughs> all right so on that wonderful note it's time to wrap up this episode so until next week thank you stan and excelsior <laughs>